Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On this episode, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, Andrew Nimhart declares for the NBA draft, signs with an NBA certified agent, which means that uh, he can return to school if he wants. Trey Mann declares for the draft, no agent, um, can return to school if he wants. Big commitment tomorrow, Kawasi Reeves. Transfer Colin Castleton commits, which creates all sorts of roster complications for the Gators. Um, just a lot of news, a lot of news, even in this uh, lockdown. So I uh, hope everybody's healthy, safe, um, and enjoys the show. We have a ton to talk about. Thanks for the ratings. I know Kyle McGill, one of our longtime listeners, dropped one. Um, all that stuff helps, like when you put an iTunes rating up or a, a, a podcast or Apple podcast rating up because, um, you know, it, it, it helps with placement, um, helps us get sponsors. All that stuff is, is useful and important to us. So thank you for that. And without any more further rambling from me, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman with Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com. Um, we have a ton to cover in this off-season COVID-19 pandemic <clears throat> edition of uh, Florida Basketball Hour. Eric, let's start with the, the sad news that you go 0 for 3 on uh, <laughs> player projections. I'm going to say 0 for 2 and a half, to be fair. Like, you're not yet over three because Andrew Nimhard retained an NBA certified agent, which means he or NCAA certified agent, which means he can return next season if he wants to. But up in the air, were you surprised at that news? Uh, hey, I'm I'm holding the O for two for now. I mean, <laughs> I, I, mean I would have expected him to uh, to declare for the draft too, uh, but I am fully expecting to be over three here. Uh, that seems to be. Uh, Seems to totally be where things are trending, uh, from uh, you know some stuff that we've heard from uh, the pickup of a transfer. We'll talk about later uh, to Nemhart signing with an agent, which you know he still can do and come back. But a lot of uh, a lot of players that are planning on returning still haven't done that. Uh, it looks like I will be holding the O for three, uh, which is uh, uh, pretty wild. I mean, uh, <coughs> I, I'm pretty surprised. I mean, I felt pretty good about my prediction. Only to be like so wrong, couldn't be more wrong. It's it's looking like uh, even if I salvage one for two, I mean, uh, that's still not great. So uh, yeah, I'll say uh, on the if we're just going to go along this discussion on the assumption that he is he is leaving for the draft, uh, I would be surprised. I don't think he had the season that uh, that he anticipated anticipated he would have. I don't think he had the anticip- uh, the season that I anticipated he would have. Uh, this season that some of the NBA teams would have anticipated he had, but uh, uh, but yeah, it's still looking like he's uh, he's going along with his plan to uh, to go pro. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know we're going to get into more of what we think individual players will do based on the dominoes that have kind of fallen all over the place. But it looks like I'm going to be two for three. Um, not patting myself on the back or trying to make you feel bad, Eric. Uh, <laughs> Oh, you're, you're welcome to. <laughs> uh, but but I, I'm a little surprised because of the fact that he didn't have the season uh, that we thought he would have. Um, I don't think he had a bad season. Um, it just wasn't 
a market improvement from the prior year. And in some ways, I think there was some things that he did not, excuse me, do as well as um, his freshman season. One of them we mentioned was shoot the three. Um, but, but I think that leads to kind of my first question for you. And I think one that, you know, a bunch of listeners asked is what is the value of returning for Andrew Nimhart? Um, because he has an athleticism deficit that's not going to change. So what value is there in returning in your mind? I mean, I wonder, because obviously the question is, uh, really, what is he as a shooter? Because I do think that the question about his athleticism, I, I do think the answer is uh, is there. So you've got to say, like, hey, what is, what is the jump shot? Well, he was a tremendous catch-and-shoot player as a freshman, uh, but he couldn't shoot off the dribble whatsoever. Uh, then you go to this year, and he got really good at shooting off the dribble from the mid-range, never really picked it up from uh, behind the arc, but he was a really poor catch-and-shoot player. So if he comes back and he's, you know, a decent catch and shoot player or, or even a good catch and shoot player, I think that a scout's going to say like, well, you know, like he, he still had that really poor sophomore season. Uh, we've still seen inconsistency in kind of every element of his, uh, every, every element of his shooting game. And quite frankly, his, his mechanics uh, are, are not textbook, uh, are not particularly pretty. And uh, you look at that and you say like, yeah, what, what else could he have, have really proved? And, uh, uh, there is something to be said about that when, uh, in regards to his decision. And, and then I think the other question that, that a lot of listeners asked, which we can just kind of cover now without doing an individual listener question, because I, I like it, you know, like you, I, I like our show to be listener driven. So if we can get into two repeat listener questions by various listeners in the first five minutes, that's good. Um, is, you know, and you wrote an article about this, which is why I'm not really chiming in. Like, is Andrew Nimhard a guy who can play fast? Uh, and is it fair to characterize him as not one? And so, you know, I don't want to get into what losing Nimhard means for Florida yet. That's an area where I will chime in. But I'm kind of interested in your take on this this idea that, that he, you know, forces Florida to play slow. Because I, I don't know how fair that is. Yeah, I, I really don't think it's particularly fair. And I, I did write an art, article about it a couple of weeks ago. But I think when you see that the other levels that he's played at, that they played really fast uh, playing for Canada and, and they played fast. And that was, uh, you know, that was the style of play that they were going to play with an NBA coach and Nick Nurse and uh, the style in FIBA where, uh, you know, the NBA just caught up. But FIBA for a couple of years has been the 14 second uh, reset on an offense rebound or, or any uh any ball coming out of this off the sideline in the, in the front court. So uh, FIBA has been a fast game for a couple of years. We know the NBA is fast and getting faster. And uh, when, when Nemhart went to go play a combination of FIBA and NBA basketball and everything was quick, uh, he played his, I, I would honestly say, if you were to say like, when does Nemhart played the best basketball of his life? It very well could have been with those team Canada teams playing against, you know, elite professionals, uh, multiple NBA players and him holding his own, not only holding his own, but excelling. Um, I would say that's probably like the highest caliber of basketball he has ever played. And that was playing fast. And, uh, you know, it, I, I did mention in the article that, you know, you look at how he played it uh, in, in high school. I mean, you play with, uh, you play with RJ Barrett, you play with a team that is going to out talent 99% of teams might be a little bit unfair to say like, Hey, let's look at the style they played where they ran up and down. But uh, I, I also think when you look at transition basketball, everyone's going to look at the point guard and say like, Hey, he's got to be the one to push it. But in a lot of situations, he needs to have guys to push it too. And the players around 
uh, around Nemhart were not great transition players. And, and I think that when the ball got stuck in Nemhart's hands, because there wasn't guys running the, the wings with him, there wasn't bigs rim running. Uh, people say like, Hey, there's Nemhart slowing, slowing the team down, but he's got to have guys running with him. And, and I didn't see that. And I do think that a lot of the criticism uh, that said that like he was the guy who slowed Florida down. I, I, I simply don't think it's fair. Yeah. And, and I, so I'm going to make two additional points and, and Eric, you hop in if I'm uh, way off base, but so the first point I'd make on this, this issue is that, you know, there's this perception that Nimhart's a ball dominant guard and I'm not sure how that that's necessarily fair either. Right. Like he, I don't think Andrew necessarily has to be a guy with the ball in his hands all the time. I think a lot of that was dictated by Florida's personnel. And I think that other than Kayvon Allen last year, he was really, you know, kind of the sole guy that Florida trusted with the basketball consistently uh, other than Nimhart. And then on this past year's team, I don't really know if there was another player that, that Florida, at least for the full season, trusted. Uh, to some extent, they trusted Quez Glover uh, more than Trey Mann. We're going to talk about Trey Mann. Uh, but really, you know, Nimhart's kind of forced to be ball dominant by personnel. So that's, that's point A. Um, and then point B kind of builds on Eric's point about uh, some of the best basketball he played being with Canada. And I think some of it was at the end of his freshman season when in all but one of Florida's final five games, the Gators' tempo was a little quicker. Uh, you know, they, they played a little faster against Nevada. Uh, they did not against Michigan, and Nimhart struggled mightily. Um, a lot of that had to do with Michigan. Um, they – Played quick against Auburn, and, and Nimhard was sensational in that game they, in the, at the SEC tournament, Eric. Um, they played fast against LSU because that's what LSU does, and we all know what he did against LSU. They played quick in the prior round against Arkansas and ran Arkansas off the floor. So I, I think that you know Nimhard kind of demonstrated that he could do that last season with that Florida team, a team that played slow and deliberately won because they didn't have a fulcrum post who they could – trust necessarily in half court offense or the personnel to the athletes that you want to, to play faster. They were less athletic than even this year's team and two Eric, because they were so good defensively that it made sense to limit possessions in a game, which was what one of our big criticisms on the podcast about Florida's deliberate tempo this season was that they weren't necessarily good enough defensively to do that. Yeah, it's all great points. And I mean, something that we haven't even mentioned yet is that Florida was a very good points per possession transition team last year. Like, I mean, some people talk about the way that Florida, like you can obviously talk about the way that Florida didn't play, didn't play in transition a lot. And that would be true. But there, there's some of that criticism kind of slipped into Florida as a bad transition team. Which is, yeah. it, it's tough to say because from a points per possession standpoint, they were an excellent transition team. They were 30, or 32nd in the country, uh, I believe. Yes, 32nd in the country in points per possession and transition. And, and again, I think that has something to do with their low number of possessions in transition. And had they gone in transition at a higher volume, I'm sure that that points per possession number would go down. But uh, it wasn't like this was a team in the 200s or even the 150s in terms of points per possession. Or it's not like, uh, you know, like they had some pretty ugly, loud turnovers at times in transition. Uh, but ultimately, it wasn't like they even turned the ball over that much in, in transition. It was it was only like one or two percent lower than the percentage what their turnover rate was in the half court. So uh, hmm. I'll also say that about Nemhart is just like, hey, when they did run, <coughs> uh, it, it was effective. So uh, and in terms of the, uh, you know, Nemhart being a 
a ball hog, and this is, you know, I'll just continue my defense of Nemhart. One thing I thought was pretty interesting was, uh, you know, he took a lot more shots this year. There's, there's no question. A lot of those, you know, pull up shots off the dribble that we didn't see a lot from him as a, as a freshman, but uh, like one Florida's offense was still pretty good this year. And a lot of it was because, you know, Andrew Nemhart was, was running things. And, uh, and another thing too, is I know a lot of these, you know, late clock situations, it was Nemhart, but you look at the other players around him and it was like, Hey, do you want Scotty Lewis to, to run a pick and roll there? <laughs> um, I've got the numbers to show you. That's not a very good idea. Do you want the ball to get reversed to Noah Locke to try to attack someone off the dribble? Like that's not a great option. Uh, so, I mean, I, some people were really kind of like, there are particular games where, where Nemhart was getting uh, a bad rap in my opinion. And it was like, you know, you look at who's out there on the perimeter and a lot of times it was Scotty Lewis and, and Noah Locke and nothing wrong with those players. But if you are in a position where one of those guys needs to make a play, well, out of the three, it's Nemhart. And um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, the one, the one last thing I will say, uh, Florida's offense with uh, starting with the kind of Princeton cut where uh, the point guard throws it to uh, throws it to the big and then runs off that. Uh, that was a play that a lot of teams of Florida played uh, denied because if you watched film on Florida and you knew that their their base offense was the Princeton, uh, they were really denying that look. And that's a that's that's a pass that needs to be made to initiate the offense. Uh, but it's also a pass that you know if a team's going to sell out on on denying it's tough to get in there. And there was definitely times where he was sitting there dribbling with the ball as Blackshear was trying to carve out position to receive that pass. And a a lot of people were like, Oh, there's Nemart taking the arrow to the ball, but it's like the entire offense comes from him making that pass into that, uh, into the big there. And he's got to wait for the big to, to generate position there. Obviously. Yes. Nemart can make the angles work and, and, and do things to help him out. But that first pass needed to be made. And, uh, and teams that scouted Florida made it tough. And, and again, that was one of the things that was like, um, I, I, I'm not saying like that offense had success. Don't get me wrong. I'm not slamming that offense. It's just the fact of the matter is if you're going to be a team that says like, hey, let's play fast in the half court, um, that first action needs to be like a point to a wing pass or it needs to be a dribble handoff or something that um, you know can get, uh, you can get off with like relative certainty, not a pass into the high post that can be uh, yeah. potentially denied. And, and yeah, I, I just think once again, uh, that's something that Andrew Nephar got a bad rap for. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I think there's there's probably merit to what you're talking about, about, you know, the quicker games benefiting somebody who processes information on the fly as fast as Andrew, too. So, you know, it, perhaps that is not just a nod to his ability to play in transition, but maybe he's more suited to play a little quicker despite an athleticism deficit. I don't... You know, I, I do like the Andre Miller comparison. I'm not sure how much modern basketball would accommodate Andre Miller, like Andre Miller, the NBA all-star version, right? Like, I'm not sure that type of career path exists for Andrew, but but I'm not, I'm not certain that it doesn't either. I'm not certain that he can't be an NBA point guard in some capacity. Um, and, and I think Florida offensively is better with Andrew Nimhard next season than, than they would be without him. Uh, you know, I genuinely believe that, Eric, for two reasons, and I'm kind of interested on your take before we move to Trey Mann on that question. It's, it's first of all, I, I think the presence of Nimhard gives you the ability to know that you're going to take care of the basketball, which Mike White really values. Uh, you know, most basketball coaches value that, of course, but that's like one or two in the, the Mike White winning formula book. And, and then uh, it also gives – it makes Florida a tougher scout, right? I mean, you you can play multiple ways if you have 
a guy like Nimhard, and then you have the quote-unquote change of pace point guard scorer like Appleby and a combo guard like Trey Mann. I mean, you have a lot of different ways to attack people suddenly. Yeah, I mean, I, I've obviously stand very hard for Andrew Nemhard in the past, and uh, <laughs> including this, uh, the last 15 minutes of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I know this is going to – this is just like one more thing, but I mean, you can, you can now obviously have criticisms of Nemhard. You know, I've got criticisms of him too. Um, but this idea that Florida is going to be a better team if he leaves, I just, I just find absolutely ridiculous. And that's something I will, like, I don't know, like maybe that's not the sentiment of anyone listening to this podcast. Uh, but on Twitter, there's a lot of people throwing it out there on the Gator country forums. There's a lot of people kind of throwing it out there. That's, um, uh, you know, is Florida going to be a better team without, without, if if Nemhart were to leave? Uh, I I just don't see it. And and the other thing too, is like (coughs) Florida for, for once, I shouldn't say for once, uh, for the first time in like five seasons is really going to be able, even if Nemhard leaves, but um, is going to be able to rely on like proven high major talent that's returning, not relying on freshmen. And uh, I think that when you see what, what Nemhard has already been in two seasons, uh, who has been very consistent and can be productive at the SEC level. And people are just are, are ready to say like, okay, well, like I, I want to see what they'd look like with a faster point guard. And I mean, I love Tyree Appleby. I'm someone who's ridden hard for him too. Um, but the idea that like, it's like a new, it would be like neutral, like uh, the loss of Nemhart wouldn't hurt or that Florida is even a better team without him. I just, I, I think that when you have a guy who's proven he can be a high level SEC point guard, uh, there's just no way you take a guy off that, off your team and you suddenly become better. Yeah, no, I mean, I I really don't think – I think you'd be talking about – you're talking about removing an all-league type player, a preseason all-league player from, from your team. And, and I don't I don't think that helps you. I don't think it helps you to lose a two-year starter at the point guard position. Um, so, you know, it's it's a blow uh, if, if he doesn't come back, which leads us to the, the – we have a numbers conundrum, Eric. We have a numbers conundrum because we have Trey Mann uh, also – announcing that he's going to leave also with the NCAA certified agent. I don't know if he's signed with one yet, but, but maybe he has, but that was the intention. Um, he's going to get feedback. Maybe Trey Mann comes back. I know that there's a lot to unpack with the man thing. Um, certainly came as a huge surprise to me. I don't know about you, uh, but, but I was pretty surprised at it. But when you factor in, his announcement with the addition of Michigan transfer Colin Castleton, who we're going to get to, essentially that means that Florida has one scholarship um, and two players declared for the NBA draft. So uh, let's just start with Trey Mann. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it was surprising just uh, because of this. And I don't think this gets talked about enough. Um, and this is going to sound like super corny, but it's something I've talked about with NBA scouts kind of through my, uh, through the writing I do with NBA Canada for the draft. It's like, you only have one chance to make a first impression. And I know that's like a really corny, like something you've probably heard uh, many times, but when I mean, it comes to like, yeah, <laughs> like, but when it comes to a basketball player, like I, I, I know like a team, like when this is. Uh, Trey Mann is going to start talking to teams and uh, you know I really like him as a, I like where he could be as a player I like his mindset um, but you look at the sample size and uh, that's what you know if a team's going to be like hey I'm going to talk to Trey Mann I'm going to start looking at his film there's going to be a lot there especially early in the season that they're not going to like and uh, you, if you fast forward to next year let's say that Trey comes back has a really good season and 
is, you know, in the mix to maybe go pro and he's talking to teams. Uh, it, what they saw with him as a freshman is still going to be loud in their minds. I, I, I know it's like, uh, it's a little bit of like, I know a lot of people think it's like, Hey, kind of what have you done for me lately? And they're going to look at what he'd done more recently. But I, I think when, when a player gets a player gets labeled so quickly, I feel like as legitimate or not. And I just fear coming off a season where uh, for about half of it, he wasn't a particularly effective player. Uh, I, I just worry for him that some, some teams are going to label him as, a guy not being worthy of being on their radar. That would be my fear. And that's why I was a little bit surprised, but Hey, the, uh, the process is there for a reason. It's for players to take advantage of it before the season. I would have, you know, I was someone who said that I thought Trey man, uh, was, uh, had a good shot at going one and done. Obviously I was very wrong there, but, uh, uh well, I mean, I, maybe I won't be wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, I would have thought <laughs> if you would have asked me before the season, is he going to declare for the draft, whether he stays in it or I uh, just gets feedback, I would have said, um, yeah, I definitely think that's going to be the case. So uh, that's something that was probably in the mindset for him and his, his family as well. And uh, even though the season didn't go exactly how they expected, they are still going to go figure out uh, what feedback they can get. Yeah, and I mean, the point of the rule is to get feedback. Uh, we've talked at length about how precisely what feedback you can get is kind of limited, right? Um, because you know, certainly individual workouts don't seem to be part of the equation. Uh, but then again, the draft has to be at least by it's by rule. It must be 60 days after um, the season or 30 days. I think it's 30 or 60, right, Eric? So essentially that just means that if they start playing again, if there is NBA basketball and they finish this season, the draft gets pushed back. So whether that runs in fall camps, who knows, whether that – whether accommodations are made for individual workouts, who knows? I don't look at six four, hundred ninety. I'm not really sure that he he's got good size. Yeah, he, he, you know, for the NBA, he's he's not an elite athlete, Eric, but he's a good athlete. Um, and and we saw some of that short area quickness that he has, right, with the way that he defended late in the year and the way that he could move his feet laterally, got a lot better defensively because of that kind of hold his own on defense. And we praised his improvement on this podcast in that respect. And I think that, you know, he had, what made it surprising to me was he had shown that he had figured out what was needed to be a good player kind of to me in, in February and, and the one or two games that they played in March, you kind of saw it and to leave right after that, rather than build on it is kind of strange. Um, you know, he's always reminded me a little bit of uh, Devin Harris, the, the Mavericks guard, um, for years and years. Maybe maybe a little bit better a scorer, I think a little better a shooter, Eric. But I always felt like it was a pretty fair comparison for, like, you know, what, what he might profile as in the NBA if he improved as a passer. Uh, you know, and, and that was, like, kind of what I thought he was. I thought he's a guy who could play seven, eight, nine years in the league um, because – he has the ability to score, and he's got a good stroke. He did not shoot the ball well as a freshman, uh, and you'd like to see him come back and shoot the ball better. Uh, and and you know, just seems like a guy who has a lot of work to do. And and you know, for me, it's not even so much a radar question, Eric, as it is: is he on G League radars to the points to the point where there's an economic incentive for him to leave? And I think the answer is no, which is why kind of finishing this roundabout thought because I think you have to talk about them together. 
it just seems more likely that Trey Mann's in a Florida uniform to me than Andrew Nimbar next year, unless there's something else going on. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree. I, I would say at this point, my feel is that, uh, that Trey Mann is coming back and, and Nemhart is gone. Um, uh, I mean, something that someone floated out on, on the Gator Country forums, and I'm sure other people have thought this too, but uh, let's say Andrew Nemhart is coming back and let's say Trey Mann is coming back. Does someone like Quez Glover want to, uh, want to test the transfer market or, or maybe go somewhere else because he doesn't see the, the path to, uh, to many minutes anytime soon? I mean, that's completely unsourced. Someone just threw it out there, and I thought, you know, look, I, I'm, always, I'm always, you know, into any kind of wild out there thoughts I hadn't had. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. But, I mean, at this point, it's looking like, uh, uh, like the Gators probably know one of those guards is gone. Um, I would say the actions of both players – uh, would suggest that uh, it's probably uh, it's probably Nemhard that's gone, and um, I really do hope Trey Mann is back. I mean, I, I know he didn't wasn't awfully productive as a freshman, but I I, I just really think he has uh, this innate kind of uh, scoring in his DNA that very few players do, and I, I think he needs to uh, needs to work on some of the skills and, and the strengths to uh, to really unlock that. But I, I think that something there is it, that is really special, and I just really hope we see it while he's in Florida. Yeah, I mean, you know, he just has a lot of upside. Like I said, um, you know, Devin Harris ended up being a, an all Big Ten player. His sophomore year at Wisconsin was his, uh, his breakout year. So, like, I feel like if I stick with my NBA comps all the way from college to pros, like I like to do, that's why I make them. You know, maybe, maybe it's a breakout type season. We saw glimpses of it in February. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that makes the most sense. Now, there is some some chatter that that he was unhappy with his role uh i i can't speak to that i i i reached out to trey um this week and just told him good luck with whatever he decides but but he didn't really offer a whole lot more than than a thank you and appreciate you type <laughs> reply to me um I, I was told by someone on florida staff that they were very pleased with the way that he had improved defensively um which is kind of a tea leaves comment to me um, that speaks to his early playing time, that he was just not shooting well enough to offset the defensive liability he was early in the season. That changed late. That's why he averaged, you know, over 20 minutes a game in conference play, Eric. So, you know, if you're not happy with your role, 20 minutes a game off the bench as a freshman, you know, I don't know what that means, you know, and that's why I don't want to speak to that. I can't say if he was happy or not. I know, um, that his father occasionally voiced dissent on Twitter about the way Florida played offensively, but I think that was everybody uh, that was frustrated early in the year with the way Florida was playing offensively. So there's just a lot of potential for Trey, and, and hopefully he can come back and tap into that um, next season. And if he doesn't, you know, presumably that would mean Andrew Nimhart's back. Um, you know, and but but the the. The one thing I'll say that, that I'm pretty confident about, Eric, is that I don't think Trey Mann is transferring because he'd have to sit out a season unless they pass the immediate waiver rule. Um, and I don't think he's the kind of player that wants to sit out a whole year. Uh, I, I really can't see a transfer. I mean, he's someone who coming out of high school was, you know, most people would have said, you know, two and done. Uh, yeah. you know, maybe one and done. There was buzz. Uh, I don't think he wants to put himself in a position where he uh, is transferring and is suddenly three years out of in his third year out of high school having to prove something like 
you know, I think that there's obviously, like, I think there's a chance he does have the huge breakout year and gets himself in a position where he can go pro, whether that's uh, getting drafted or it's uh, getting a G League spot or, or something like that. You know, who knows? But I, I, I really could see that happening for him. So I just don't think he'd want to put himself in a position where it's, hey, his second year in college is now spent not playing and then uh, he's got a, you know, in his third year, it's a real make or break kind of situation. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't find transfer likely but um hey I, I i i do think he was upset with his role at times i kind of like it i mean hey he's someone who uh, i think he knows the potential he has i know so i know that uh, there was some talk even from the coaching staff about his kind of confidence level but i think he knows he can make shots and he didn't make shots at many times throughout the season and i i think i hope he was upset with that and i think he was and i think it's uh, i i think i see in him he has a little bit of that uh, he's got that competitive mindset where I think he was probably upset with the fact that, you know, there was a point where uh, kind of, you know, midway through the season where I thought that his play and, and Quez Glover's play was um, fairly comparable. Uh, but Quez Glover was definitely getting the role of first guard off the bench. Yep. And uh, I didn't, ex- I didn't really think that Quez Glover did anything to deserve it at the time, at, le- at least on the floor. I'm not a practice and I'm sure it's practice related. Um, so I should have phrased that differently, but, um, but yeah, like I, I, I think being unhappy with the role, like people nowadays with like the way the transfer portal is, people hear that a player is unsatisfied with the role and they think that they're ungrateful or have a poor attitude. Yeah. And, and I think it's part of being competitive. I'm not saying that you have to be, you know, anything great point. short of playing 30 minutes for, for Trey Mann would have made him unhappy with his role. I'm not suggesting that's the case, but I do think, um, he was doing a lot of the things that, uh, I think he was really working hard to improve. And there was a time where I, I don't think the minutes uh, uh, were re- maybe reflecting that. And uh, Hey, but by the end of the, by the end of the season, he had kind of like, that's what I do think really is so impressive about Trey Mann is he started in a starting role. He lost his starting role. He went, you know, way back into the bench behind Quez Glover. And it was very clear the coaching staff uh, trusted Quez Glover more. And he had to work from being, you know, the last guard, well, really, I mean, when some of those front court players were injured, like really the last guy on the bench of healthy players, and he, you know, went from the basement there and worked his way up to he was one of the first guys off the bench, and he was trusted as the secondary ball handler. And uh, I think that that shows that yes, he was probably dissatisfied with his role, and he went to work and changed that. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I, I hear like a player is not happy with his role, and I, I don't know that that can be a bad thing, and that can be something that uh, that maybe you know speaks to a player that's on his way out but um to me it oftentimes just speaks to a competitor who knows what he's capable of yeah that's a great point and and that's a uh you tell eric's a coach because that's definitely you know sometimes you like you like to see that in a kid you want them to be mad that they're not playing um they're not playing as much as they think they should and that answers the uh question that a good question by a longtime listener uh tim pestius 82 was just asked us if, if we had heard rumors, if man doesn't get drafted, will he be looking to transfer? Again, I just don't think he's he's the kind of player that's going to be willing to sit out a season. Like If he was un, unhappy about not playing, I don't think he goes somewhere <laughs> and sits on a bench and stares for a year. I think that would drive him nuts. Um, kids that transfer, you know, they kind of usually accept that, that uh, they're going to be in college for a couple years. And I don't know if that's necessarily something that Trey's willing to accept. Matt uh, Piazza asked an interesting one, though, which spoke to something you hinted at earlier. He says, do you guys think Jatobo or Glover might transfer instead of Nan or Nimhard? 
given Castleton's been added, especially if Castleton gets a waiver, maybe Jatobo leaves. Um, we haven't talked about Castleton yet, but we can answer that one here, I think, Eric. Uh, I don't really see either of those guys trapped. Yeah, I don't, like, I, I don't either. <laughs> like, let's remember that Quez Glover was a guy that had some, like, low major offers and, and mid-major offers, and, uh, and he made it very clear that he wanted to be high major, and that was just a huge goal for him. Um, for him to uh, to get to a high major and and not have to redshirt his first year, not have to be the thirteenth guy, like he he got some run, and uh, I just can't see him saying like, okay, well that's my taste of high major basketball. It's time to transfer to a mid major or low major because I do think that would be where he'd be off to if he was if he was leaving this year. Um, so it's just it's it's tough for me to imagine from that standpoint. Um, but at the same time, I could see if in a world where if Nemhart was coming back, if Trey Mann was coming back, I could see him thinking like, wow, I am very likely not playing very much next year. Um, I, I could see that entering his mind, but, uh, but yeah, that would be on, that would be if Nemhart and, and Mann are both back. I mean, even with, even if, uh, even if Nemhart's gone, I, I still think it's going to be tough for, for Glover to really yeah. go to roll. But, uh, but I don't know. It just, the, the way that he wanted so badly to be a, a high major player and the way that I think he's one of the guys that when he entered college, he knew he'd be a four year guy. That's an assumption. I don't know that for sure. Um, yeah, I just can't see, can't see him transferring out. And, and with Jatobo, I mean, um, floor, he, he committed to a very crowded front court that is now less crowded than when he committed. So I can't see him being, I, I like, I mean, I, I think he would have thought there'd be more centers off the roster right now than there are. Um, so it's just like some question about like role or anything like that. I, I just don't think that that would be uh, that would have changed in a negative way that would make him want to leave. Well, we saw uh, Quez's name on the uh, SEC honor roll, academic honor roll list last uh, December. So I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's going anywhere, man. I, I think he graduates from Florida. <laughs> I think he likes the chance to get a degree at a top 10 university and play high major basketball. And if that means that next year, the way the roster shakes out, he doesn't get to play much. He just seems like the kind of kid that's going to be okay with that, you know, that he's just going to use the time and work on himself and get better. And, look, we, we, we knocked the turnover percentage, and we talked about things he needs to improve on, and, and he could do those things. But we also saw glimpses that, like, Quez Glover can play high major basketball. Yeah, I, I really actually w- was thinking about that. Uh, I, I was definitely too hard on Quez Glover this year, whether it be in my writing or, or on the podcast. Uh, because you know what, he was a guy who was unranked when Florida offered him and when he committed. And uh, I know he got, he ended up being like a three-star, but I, that's, you know, the bump that happens when you go from unranked to committing to Florida. Um, but you know, really he was a guy that was put in a role that not a lot of freshmen are, should be put in. Uh, and I know the team didn't really want to put him in there is just what they needed to do. Um, and, uh, especially as a point guard playing against some teams that were going to really pressure point guards. Uh, yeah, I just think, um, you know, he did probably, he did a lot better than if you took most unranked or two star point guards and you put them in some of the scenarios Quez Glover is, uh, was in, I think they're turning the ball over a lot more and, uh, probably not handling it as well. So right. uh, I, I definitely was too hard on, on Glover at times. And, and, uh, that's why I definitely need to back, you know, back this up. But, um, yeah, I, I do hope that he's someone who, who sticks around Florida because uh, I, I really would love to see what he's like in his, uh, uh, you know, in his third and fourth years. And 
Uh, it, it, it really is tough for me to, uh, to see how he plays a huge role this year, but uh, Hey, if he kind of stays at it, I I'd be really interested to see what he becomes. Um, average Gator guy kind of got into what we've just been talking about. Andrew stays in the draft or if he comes back, it seems like one of those two is, is, is who will leave. I, we both agree with that. I think we, we both kind of think that either man or Nimhard will be gone. Probably Nimhard. Mark Lewis asked if any of them like college or place more value on education than the other. I, I can't answer that. I have no idea what, what uh, the man family thinks about education. I'm sure that they appreciate it. <laughs> um, you know, and I know Andrew's a pretty good student. Um, that's it said. I know, I don't know if he likes school, but I know he's a pretty good student. Uh, I have, yeah. z- <laughs> I have yeah. zero insight there, but I'll tell you this much. I think both of those families, both of those players um, thought that they'd be in the pros in the NBA uh, right. you know, one or two years out of college. Um, yeah. I, I, I have zero insight to the, to the value they place on, on education and would feel extremely awkward speculating it's, on it. Exactly. Uh, but I'll tell you this much. I don't, I don't think either of them were expecting, uh, uh, were expecting to spend four years at, uh, at college. Yeah, there's there's no videotape of them talking about loving school like there is of Scotty Lewis or or Keontae Johnson's mother, who, <laughs> bless her heart, uh, is really fired up that her son is is you know gonna have a chance to graduate Florida in three years. Which should tell you all you need to know about next season for Keontae Johnson. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, and those you know listener questions kind of we we addressed a lot of them because they were a lot of the same things about uh, tempo and you know Jake Gingrich asked if man is getting pushed out. I I don't have any information on that. And a staff member, like I said, that did talk to me about it, said that they were pleased with his progress in February and March. So does that sound like somebody that's getting pushed out? Not really, not to me. Um, Central Gators asked. If Klatsky transfers, can both stay? No, Klatsky is a preferred walk-on, so that's uh, not something they can do. Another person says, man, is coming back 100%. He pinned it on his Instagram. Well, uh, you know, perfect. He pinned it on his Instagram, so I guess that means that this is all just an academic conversation. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's talk Colin Castleton. This is There's so much to talk about. It's just like I feel like we're just breezing through things. Um, so we'll get into the Anthropocene question, which was a, a, a layup for uh, a softball for Eric's article. What is Florida getting in Colin Castleton, a pretty highly recruited player, leaving a program like Michigan is a bit unusual. Eric? <laughs> hey, it is a little <laughs> bit unusual just for in the sense that, like, okay, the a lot to be addressed here. One of the, uh, I know one of the things that people are, that are skeptical of, of Castleton as a transfer will point to is the fact that he did not play many minutes in his first two years of Michigan. Um, but he also played behind John Teske, who was one of my favorite centers in college basketball for yeah. the last two seasons. Um, and uh, if you need any reminder of that, uh, maybe somewhere hidden away deep in the back cupboards is uh, the film of Florida playing Michigan in the NCAA tournament two years ago, uh, where <laughs> Teske just dominated both sides of the floor. 
Um, I thought he was so good. Um, so, and then they had another senior this year in Austin Davis. So he was playing behind two upperclassmen and, you know, you may, would you have liked to have seen him, uh, uh, find a way to get more minutes? Like I, I suppose so, but, uh, um, I'll get more into his game, uh, but I'll tell you this. I really like it. We'll get into the details, but, uh, it, it so in terms of it being w- weird with him leaving on one hand, uh, they're losing two the other two centers on the rosters were seniors. So, um, the uh, the pathway to Castleton getting big minutes was certainly there because when John Teske and Austin Davis graduate, that left Colin Castleton, so he'd probably be in a position to start. Uh, but he also committed to John Beeline, uh, who is not the coach there anymore. It was it's obviously Juwan Howard now, and uh, something that uh, was very uh, a very prevalent take on Michigan message boards, and uh, as well as uh, a video that was uh, shown to me by a Michigan fan was uh, Castleton saying that Florida was his dream school back when he was in high school going through, uh, going through recruitment. So, uh, you know, the opportunity to come to, uh, come to your dream school, he's obviously from Florida. Uh, that makes it not weird, uh, I think. Though uh, I, I will say, like, the, uh, uh, the pathway to him getting minutes in Michigan was there, so, so leaving, leaving might seem a little bit weird, but I think he always wanted to be a Gator. I think he, you know, really liked John Beeline, who's not there anymore, and, and those things point to, uh, point to why he'd want to leave. Yeah, I mean, look, he uh, he visited Florida the same weekend that Keontae Johnson did. Um, so, you know, way back when, uh, and and I think Dusty May left, and and he ends up committing to Michigan. Um, and I think you know. It's interesting. I don't know what the numbers were with the Gators and their recruitment of him, but but certainly he kind of knew when he got to Michigan that they had more, you know, more of a crowded roster in their front court uh, than Florida had, and and he waited his turn. But but what I see uh, is a guy with with good size um, that you know when I watched tape actually got away from the basket and defended a little better than I thought he would. Um, he can handle a little bit, which that's different for, for Florida. You know, certainly Kerry Blackshear could too, but, but the types of bigs that have been in the Florida program for more than a, a rena season, we haven't seen a lot of that, Eric. <laughs> so that'll be kind of nice. Um, he, he, he's got good feet uh, and, and has real good body control as a defender, which I think makes him a little bit better of, of a rim protector than someone with with kind of adequate athleticism, not plus athleticism. Um, and, uh, you know, the only thing I haven't seen a lot of is him shooting. Um, but, but certainly, you know, I, I think he's a better defender than sort of his body profiles, if that makes sense. And, um, and, you know, pretty good, uh, pretty good roller because he can put the ball on the deck. Yeah, you uh, you stole my point. That's what I was going to point out as uh, what's most impressive about him offensively is his work as a roller. And uh, one thing that I thought was, uh, well, I guess predictable about the way that Juwan Howard coached in Michigan last year was that he uh, he coached an NBA system. So uh, in pick and roll coverage, they dropped pick and rolls like you see in the NBA all the time. Uh, and Castleton looked really good in that, that role. Uh, but another thing that they did was they ran pick and rolls where they were trying to hit the roller on the short roll. Uh, where you know just coming off the screen, uh, the guard makes a bounce pass into the into the rolling big man at like r- around the free throw line, where he can then make another pass to a shooter if the defense collapses. 
collapses, mm. or he can take a bounce or two or, or and go finish. Like, like uh, you know, Andrew Nemhart and Kerry Blackshear were really good pick and roll tandem, but a lot of it was, uh, you know, Nemhart uh, uses the screen, gets a defender on his hip, takes a couple dribbles, and finds Kerry Blackshear in a position where he can just lay the ball in. And that's wonderful. I mean, that's uh, when that works, that's, that's the best it gets. Um, but I really like how in Michigan's system, it, was, uh, it wasn't like Castleton was a play finisher on the pick and roll. He was like a, a secondary creator because he'd set the screen, he'd roll, he'd catch the pass on the short roll, and he'd have the opportunity to make a pass to a shooter. Um, or in a lot of scenarios, he'd take a dribbler to and, and finish. And uh, he's not like super explosive, but he is long. And I thought he used his extension really well to, to finish. And uh, around finishing around the rim, he was uh, he had some really good uh, uh, some really good skill there, and, and kind of seemed to know how to just use his length. And uh, yeah. And one thing I really like too is he was a, he was a really solid post player by the numbers. And one thing he did really well was he was able to really punish mismatches. Like he was able to punish switches. Like teams that would want to switch all their screen and roll actions he would take a smaller wing on the block and he would have a baby hook over either hand uh which he'd have a nice left hand too and had some nice hook shots with the left which i really appreciated um <laughs> but really like there's there's a lot to like about his game like uh, i i know that it's going to be pointed out that he didn't play a lot at michigan and didn't get in a lot of uh you know a lot of big games at, at times down the stretch but like when you look at his advanced numbers when you look at the film like uh, there's really a lot to like of, uh, like about his game. Like uh, y- you can point to like, Hey, why didn't he play more in Michigan? Or you can look at what he did do while he's at Michigan and say like, Hey, he, uh, he offered a lot of value as a, as a defender who has some good mobility at, for a guy who's six ten or six eleven, And he was excellent in, as a pick and roll roll man. And he shot 83% from the free throw line. So, that's <laughs> good shooting Sorry. so uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very excited about this pickup. Like, uh, I, I think it's uh, it's a great player who uh, really wants to be a Gator, and uh, yeah, it's a really good pickup. Yeah, I mean, high high four star guy, um, you know, top one hundred guy, uh, one hundred twenty eight in the twenty four seven rankings, but top one hundred in in the rivals uh, ESPN. So, you know, a guy that was a guy that was you know high at least a four star guy and was was coveted. Uh, there's a guy, uh, Maceo Baller. From who's a, a Michigan basketball guy who who sent a video over to me um, that I posted on on the Twitter. So you guys check that out. It's like a minute and twenty seconds or so of of some Castleton footage from last year. You know his minutes. And I think the point was his minutes weren't a lot, but he looked like a guy who improved. Uh, it's just really like Eric said, kind of a, a you know about depth chart more than it was about you're not that good. So I think I think it benefits Florida. And the other thing I like about it is that Florida has been successful with transfers uh, under Mike White. You know, they've they've whether it's graduate transfers or transfer players, it's also a good way to to supplement your roster and stay older when you're going to be young. And so that's something that intrigues me about it, Eric, because Florida's going to be pretty darn young the year after next. Yeah, it's a good point. So whenever you can get these guys that are give you kind of an instant um boost of experience uh it's good but but i mean one thing i will say about castleton is like you know you can look at him as a junior incoming to florida like let's say let's just say he got a waiver which we don't even have to discuss but let's just say (laughs) whatever world whatever world he comes to he can play next year in florida and as a junior the thing is he's like so okay so omar Payne, for example 
who was like kind of played a big role at times, uh, didn't play a super big role at times and, and hardly got off the bench. He played 454 minutes last year. That was 454 minutes. Um, Colin Castleton in two seasons combined has played 264 minutes. There you go. So, so I, so kind of two things there. One, I think Castleton has looked so good so far and he's like hardly played any minutes. Um, but the other thing I will say is like the idea of him being like a veteran player next year would, I, I would say it not be totally correct. Just sure. He hasn't really put up a lot of minutes. Um, yeah, that's fair. The, but at the same time, he's also, you know, he, when he played minutes, it was in a, a big 10 this year, which was fantastic. And it was the league with the best centers in the country. And every time he was in the, like, so that's one thing too, because he only played 264 minutes over the last two seasons. Um, I was able to watch it in an afternoon, every minute <laughs> he's ever played. So, I mean, some, cause that's one thing too, is like what I also wanted to get across as well is like, I think when some people look at a player that doesn't play a lot of minutes, and this is actually true in a lot of cases, so I'm not saying this is a bad mindset, but a lot of times it's uh, when you see a player that doesn't play a lot of minutes, <coughs> his minutes are coming in garbage time uh, or uh, against the other team's bench unit. So uh, one thing I did notice about Castleton was like, he didn't get a lot of minutes, but it wasn't like he was playing in garbage time. Like when he was out there, uh, you know, he was playing the Luca Garzas of the world uh, and playing the Daniel Oturos, who's going to be yeah. a first round draft pick. And like, so like he, he's battled, like these are not, you know, these are not highway miles this last year. They were, they were city. He's, uh, <laughs> he hasn't played a lot of minutes, but uh, uh, they were, they were good hard minutes. So, uh, so yeah, like kind of two notes there. Like one, I think you could see him still get a lot better from now. Cause he hasn't played a lot. And uh, two, Maybe, you know, maybe it's not super accurate to call him like a veteran guy, but I, I, there's obviously value to going through um, two years with two different coaches um, at, a, at a Big Ten school. Yeah, at a big-time program and, and been to the Sweet 16. So all, all that stuff is, is useful as a locker room voice too. So uh, I think a good pickup for the Gators, obviously. Uh, Jared Billmere asked, um, and, and he asked it in the right way. You know, because we don't, we don't, we're not in the habit of. It's an awkward question to answer, but he asked it a really good way. He said, "Really curious, which which one of the two, Nimhard or Man, you would prefer to have back between the two point guards testing the NBA waters? Since we can apparently now only have a max of one of them back with Castleton, I can't decide. I uh, don't want to pick between them, though. I think I'd lean Nimhard. Um." Yeah, I, that's me. I, you know, I, I, w- I think I would lean Nimar too, just because, you know, returning point guards really matter in college basketball. And um, to get a third-year starter all-league point guard back with some of the other pieces that are going to be around him, I, I thought, uh, you know, a lot of potential for Florida to, to kind of reduce what Andrew has to do and let him do what he does best. Yeah, for me, it would definitely be Nemhard. I, I just think... Well, one thing that kind of paints the picture is like I, I feel like if Nemhart was were to come back and if Man were to come back, they'd both come back for only one more year. And I know that might sound kind of funny for Man, who didn't have a great freshman season, but like I could really see him just going to the G League after the next season, or um, or really exploding and and going to the NBA. But I, I kind of feel like you are maybe getting even in this scenario, you're probably only getting the player for one year. So uh, in this one year scenario, I'm going to take the guy who is um, more productive and who's been uh, a proven high level SEC player for two years. So uh, to me, it would be, uh, it would be Nemhart. But uh, I do think there's definite like 
definite like potential with man to just like explode and be uh, uh, a- and have a ceiling that's maybe a little bit higher than Nemarts. Yeah, I would agree. Cue up the uh, Gators breakdown. Dave Gator Dave uh, pitcher of Mullen on a plane because we got the Jordan <laughs> we got the Jordan Mincy cryptic today. Phone calls, phone calls. This coach's Twitter. Phone calls, phone calls, phone calls. Repeat. I missed my last night of great sleep preparing for K. Ray Finn birthday, witnessing Gators in the North. Um, I think that was Coach Mincy telling us all to sleep well, but there is a commitment tomorrow. Uh, 6'6 wing, Kawasi Reeves, one of my favorite players in the 2021 class. I'm not just saying that, Eric, because he's choosing between two schools in Florida tomorrow. He, If you listen to Florida basketball, he's been a guy we've talked about when we've done recruiting shows. Just an exciting player. He can initiate offense on his own. He's a tremendous ball handler, especially for somebody his size. Um, he's a great, you know, floor spacer because he can really shoot and he can attack. Um, and then I think he's perfect for some of those Princeton series where, where you know, these little V cuts that Florida likes to run, where they back screen uh, with the center. Um, you know, because he's six six, he can V cut in the interior, right, and and then kind of pop out because he can see plays as they develop. Uh, so he's perfect for that little action. Probably even more ideal for it than Keontae Johnson, which I know is blasphemy, but he's bigger. Um, there's just a ton to like about his bat, his game, and and I think he's a perfect fit for Princeton offense and and Florida. Yeah, by the time you know some of you uh, are listening to this, I'm sure that his decision is going to come down, and I do think he's going to be a Gator. And you know what? Like, I, I know there was some uh, some news, you know, yesterday and today about how the NCAA is kind of opening up the name, image, and likeness thing for players. Uh, but you know, it's still not going to be able to in 2021 to be able to like get a Florida Gators jersey with a player name on it um, and, and have income go to that player. But they're, they're really going to have to figure that out because if Kawasi Reeves Jr. comes to Florida, uh, that's a jersey I'm going to need to buy. Uh, yeah. Buy, you know, savory or unsavory means I, I really just love the player. Like, love his game on the court. Um, I love every time I've spoken to him. Um, I, I love his, his dad is a great guy, or really knowledgeable about basketball. Um, just a great family, great kid. Uh, and he's just such a good player. Like uh, the one thing I will say that like just really speaks to how good he is, is like go Google Kawasi Reeves Jr. And go look at what some of the national recruiting writers have written about him. And you're going to see some guys who say Kawasi Reeves, best shooter in the 2021 class. And then you're going to see other guys who say Kawasi Reeves Jr., one of the best athletes in the class. So yeah. when you get a player who uh, is arguably, you know, you, I, I, I oh, can, I, can I interrupt I you real so. quick? Can sure. I interrupt you real quick? You're also going to read Kawasi Reeves, smartest player in the 2020 class. 2021 yeah, like, class. <laughs> yeah, look at the look at the programs. He's like, like they're all good academic institutions, and it's something that, um, you know, I first spoke with them in, in 2018 when Florida offered him, and they were Florida was his first Division One offer. It's uh, still pinned to his, the top of his Twitter account with yeah. his tweet saying that he got offered <laughs> from the Gators. Um, you know, he was focused on academics then. He's still focused on academics now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I, but again, like he's someone who is one of the best athletes in the class. He's one of the best shooters in the class. And uh, when you've got, and he's has good size and can handle the ball as well. Like uh, I actually, I just honestly have no idea why he's not ranked higher in the recruiting rankings. Like he's like top, uh, top 35 
on rivals. I, I think 24 seven has him in like the sixties. Um, I don't know what ESPN has him at, but I just think he's absolutely fantastic. And I, I really, really hope he's a Gator. And I hope this is like fun to listen to for people who maybe listen to this after his announcement. Um, if he's a Gator, this will hopefully be just like funny to listen to. Well, I just retweeted his, uh, <laughs> his pin tweet. Good. Um, <laughs> you know, just kind of throw that out there. I don't know if the night before your commitment video drops, if you, if you keep that up on your Twitter well, oh, and uh, I, hey, I'll tell you this much too. Uh, so his dad owns um, this. Uh, they're from Georgia, um, and his dad owns uh, owns a company called Hype South Media, which uh, covers like Middle Georgia basketball and recruiting. And they do like really cool, uh, really cool video stuff, really cool graphic stuff. Uh, when he announces, I'm expecting something very cool. So not only is his announcement going to be uh, cool, because I hope and think he's going to be a Gator, um, I bet it's not going to be a, a simple, you know iphone notes uh time honored screenshot I, I think it's probably gonna be like a super dope video or something so um expectations are very high for me the, no question yeah i mean look uh we don't get sleep well tweets unless uh they're committing i think he's gonna come to florida it's gonna be great um a great get for my quiet and to me and, and this one is our normal it's become like an annual annual that doesn't make any sense it's become like a every podcast shout out to Malik, but but um, you know Malik hit it like the uh, the kind of Shea Gilgis Alexander redemption sort of for the staff if he does commit because you know to be somebody's first offer and lose them after they were committed forever, which is what happened with with Shea. And now, you know, Kawasi never commits, but a really good chance to, to get that commitment tomorrow and, and to sign him. And, and I think, uh, you know, you, yeah, I mean, eventually you're going to have a five-star player, I would imagine, based on where he's at in the rivals rankings. It's just a matter of time till the 24-7s catch up and, and uh, you know, continues the trend of this staff doing a really good job recruiting. And also we're starting to recruit more players to a point that, Eric, you made – consistently over the last year it seems like they figured out that they have to not just go for rankings but they're finally recruiting players that really fit what they want to do on a basketball court yeah i mean he's really someone who can go and get his own shot or you can play him off the ball and he can be a catch and shoot guy uh i think he can guard anyone you want and uh yeah i just uh i can absolutely see why he's a priority for the gator staff and um while we're shouting out malik i this is actually also why you know that 24-7 probably hasn't seen him a lot, uh, was because uh, uh, he was listed at 6'2 for, like, a, a very long time, like, since he was, like, a <laughs> high school freshman. And uh, the person who actually got them to update it was Malik, who nice. uh, talked to Kawasi, uh, figured out that he was 6'6, six six, and then emailed Jerry Meyer and said, like, hey, just so you know, um, he's, he's, he's up to 6'6 six six now. So... Uh, <laughs> I really like 24 seven. This is no, I'm not trying to slander them or anything, but no, I, no. I do think that there's a pretty good chance that he fell through the cracks because I would think that someone would have watched him play and at least noticed, Hey, this guy's in six foot two. He's like six foot five, six foot six. Um, but I also think that 24 uh, seven may have been um, suppressing his recruitment, which, Hey, maybe that's good for Florida because if someone <laughs> thought he was, but that, but that's like, that's really like when he was like a high school freshman, it was like, Hey, he's one of the best shooters in the class and he's got a high basketball IQ, but you know, he's like skinny and six foot two. Um, but then it was like, Hey, suddenly he's six foot six and really athletic. 
but still has that basketball IQ and that shooting stroke. Uh, so uh, yeah, he's, I, I don't know, like I, I, I shouldn't say things like this because, you know, it's not like I've scouted everyone in the 2021 class. Um, but it's when I look at Kawhi Reeves Jr., I, I don't know how he's not a five-star. So he's a five-star in my mind. Maybe that's naive. Maybe that's ignorant. Cause I can't, uh, can't go look at every other player and say like, Hey, this guy, this guy that's a five-star shouldn't be or anything like that. But, uh, Hey, there's a lot of five stars in the past that, uh, when you look at what they did, what they looked like coming out of high school, uh, they were not as good as Kwasi Reeves Jr. looks. So, uh, well, yeah. you know, and, just, and, I, I'm very excited. No, we had our chat last year about how, you know, I, I think for football recruiting, I prefer 24-7 in the composite. And for basketball recruiting, I really do prefer uh, rivals. And it doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of people at 24-7 that can't cover basketball really well. Uh, Florida has one. And, you know, Thomas Schoolcamp's really versatile and does a great job with the program. Um, but, but I do think just for, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, I do trust the rivals rankings a little bit more. And I think that they're a little more active and kind of updating and shuffling things around. And he's a top 35 player there. And I think rising. So it uh, could be a, a really good day for Florida basketball tomorrow. Um, you know, and, and I do think at the end of the day, you're going to get one of your five-star guards back. So, you know, whether that's Andrew or whether that's Trey Mann, uh, we'll figure it out. For me, when you know, I want to close with this uh, point before I talk about something personal to finish the show. Um, you know, Eric, <coughs> I think uh, Andrew is just a guy who's going to get a better G League contract right now, too, right? Like, I, I, that's that's kind of what it comes down to, to for me. Is like, you know, just there's more opportunity for Andrew right now, and it makes more sense. Yeah, it's, uh, that's the way I'm kind of preparing my uh, myself uh, kind of emotionally because I really liked him as a player. And um, I do think that it's uh, it's the signs are pointing to, to him leaving. And uh, I'll also say this, something that hasn't been talked about um, a, a ton is the fact that this whole system of uh, that players can sign with agents if they're NCAA certified. Um, the thing with that is uh, the NCAA to get certi- certified uh, they had a bunch of arbitrary rules that a lot of agents didn't like, including the, uh, the quote-unquote Rich Paul rule that said that agents needed to have a bachelor's degree, which many of the top agents in the NBA do not have. Uh, they also, it was also, like, I've heard anywhere between two and $5,000 for what it costed, to be, uh, what the process cost. Um, also, uh, agents needed to fly to Indianapolis to take the test in person, and they had to take this test and, and pass it to be certified. So a lot of the top agents in basketball, um, they just didn't take part in this NCAA certification process. They got, like, you could say they boycotted it, or you could just say that they just didn't care enough. Um, so when you actually look, like, there's, like, 23, cer- 22 certified agents, and, like, 14 or 50 of them, 15 of them cr- currently do not have any NBA players uh, on their rosters. So these are not, like, very high level agents and even the ones with players um, like most of them, like their best, like there's like the best, the best agent out there is the one that Andrew Nemhart signed with. And that's, I just, you look at the players that they represent and uh, the agent that Andrew Nemhart signed with, he has Pascal Siakam um, and a few other NBA guys, but not really any stars. And the next best, best agent, his best player is like Kent Bazemore. So there's huh. really not a lot of the like top shelf agents out there that are NCAA certified. So I do think it is worth noting that Andrew Nemhart signed with the best one out there. And I mean, you know, he, 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 he does some stuff in Toronto and um, 
with Siakam, there's that connection that certainly makes sense. But it's not like like Nemhard didn't sign with just any agent. He signed with the best one out there. That's also something that maybe points towards uh, the fact that he's willing to or or he's about to go pro just because, uh, yeah, this wasn't some middle-of-the-line guy. It was the best one available. Yeah, no, it's all good, really good stuff. So um, that's the basketball portion of our show. Feel free to to tune us out for the last uh, few minutes. But I did, I did want to thank listeners. I, I got some various uh, direct messages and – and text and all sorts of things. So the, those that don't know, I, I, uh, I'm not really sure how it happened because I left my house like five times in what <laughs> the month, first month of lockdown. But I managed to contract uh, COVID nineteen and had the coronavirus, Eric, and and as Eric knows, and and uh, you know, started kind of as a slow burn. Um, felt like a cold, but. It ended up getting terribly sick, uh, and and was in the hospital. Um, had to do uh, an experimental plasma treatment. Uh, took the azithromycin and and antiviral cocktail uh, that they hook you up with, and and was just really really sick. And you know, touch and go, and talking to my family only on Zoom. And, talking to my friends only on Twitter or text messages or zoom. And, and so all of that uh, really offers you some perspective. And I, I feel very blessed to have the medical care that I had and, and, um, and blessed in a lot of ways to, to not have it get worse. I had developed a pneumonia, um, which they had to treat pretty aggressively and I'm starting to feel better. Uh, and starting to feel stronger and, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to articulate, you know, just somewhat emotional time and, and a scary time. Uh, you know, you worry about your daughters in my case, uh, can't wait to see them again. And, uh, so all I'll say is if you don't think you can get sick, if you're young and in good shape like me, um, cause, cause I really am. It's not just something I'm saying. Uh, you can get sick and you can get really sick. And uh, I know that this period of social distancing is brutal. I know that uh, economically a lot of people are struggling. And, you know, all, all I can say is please take care of yourself. Please heed the guidelines of your local leaders. Please listen to your, your leaders who are hopefully listening to doctors uh, stay home if you're told to stay home. Stay safe. Uh, you know, and then then on a more broad note, you know, just remember to value people. Uh, remember to to tell people that you care about them. Remember to to not take time for granted because you can learn very quickly that it is possibly short. So, to 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 everybody that reached out, I I greatly appreciated that. Um, you know, from, from Eric to, to older friends, to coach Dan Mullen, dropping a video to me, <laughs> um, telling me to get better, uh, you know, taking time out of his day to do that, to coach Mincy, uh, reaching out, Chris Harry, um, you know, just so many people, it, it was really flattering and, and, and nice. Um, but also, you know, it just made me want to be here. I don't, I don't plan on, 
you know, I didn't want to go anywhere. And so, uh, you know, you don't know how much time you have. And so take advantage of it. Uh, and, and I guess that's the end of my rant. Um, but I hope, I hope maybe you guys listen to it and, and understand that, you know, I love doing the show and I appreciate all of you. Yeah. And what, what day is this for you, Neil, since you, uh, you first got sick? This is day 20. Day 20. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, uh, I think you just said it best when it's, uh, when you said to, to, you know, trust, uh, uh, trust the professionals here and, and trust what people have to say, because I know it can sound a little bit ridiculous that, um, you know, six feet is good, but five feet isn't, or, uh, some of these measures that, uh, when you start to feel bored at home, I just, uh, you know, I, uh, I'll definitely be thinking of you, Neil, when I, the next time I get bored and think about like, Hey, maybe I should, uh, <laughs> go out and, and try to meet up with some friends or something like that. <clears throat> I can remember that, uh, Hey, you took all the necessary precautions and, and, um, un- unfortunately that's not always enough. So, uh, and like you said, the fact that, uh, uh, you're healthy and you're in day 20, got to just now getting on the, uh, the up, the slight upswing after, um, after being in the hospital for a few days. And that's, that's scary stuff. And, uh, yeah, for, for, for me, Neil, it definitely just like helped to be able to, to, to put a face on because, uh, you know, you're the closest person to me to, to be directly affected. And, and I hope that that also helps for, for maybe some listeners who, um, who kind of needed to hear a firsthand story. So thank you for sharing, Neil, because I know, um, you just went, you know, 20 days without, uh, without putting it on Twitter or, or making a scene out of it or anything. And I, uh, but I do think it's important you talked about it for, uh, for some people. And uh, I thank you for doing that. Yeah, no, uh, I hope that that people take, take this to heart. Cause I do know people are struggling and, and I know it's not just lonely. It's not just isolation. It's, it's, you want to be back at your jobs. You want to be in the new normal. Some people have lost their jobs. You know, the economy in the United States is, is in a bad way. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's hard to preach patience, but, but know that human lives are being affected and shout out to any of any of anyone listening who knows medical personnel, nurses, firefighters, first responders, you know, these are the real heroes. Um, and, and we appreciate you, uh, as well. So hope you enjoy the show. Happier days tomorrow. I think, uh, Kawasi Reeves becomes a Gator, which has really been something I've been looking forward to for, for months. Um, and we're going to need a new guy to stand with Keontae gone. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just move right along. Um, thanks everybody.